afternoon. This is uh, Jason Burris with episode 16 of the Burris Law Life and Friends podcast. How's everyone doing? Uh, and today we've got a very special guest, Mr. Tim Patterson. How are you doing? I'm doing great. It's a pleasure to be here, to be uh, back sitting in the studio. It's great, th- great deal. All right. And not only special guest, but former client, Tim Patterson. Yes, sir. Um, this case took a while. This wasn't our wham, bam, thank you, ma'am. Um, this one took a while. Yes, it did take a long time from almost five years from the, uh, point of impact, so to speak. Yeah. Uh, summer 2017, uh, is when the crash occurred and, uh, we finished up the case a little while ago. Yes. Okay. Um, so let's let's give a and this is a TBI case, really. I mean, there's orthopedic injuries, but largely a TBI case, which stands for traumatic brain injury, right? Correct. All right. So let's set the scene. We're on 75. It's about 2:40 in the afternoon in June of 2017. You're headed north on US 75. What happened? I had just left Costco, picked up a whole bunch of stuff, was heading um, north, like you said, and traveling with the flow of traffic and and saw someone just look like they're exiting the freeway. And they happened to, for whatever reason, go that way and ran into the back end of a park semi and their car catapulted in front of me in the best description I get of the, the, the movie uh, Twister. When the house lands on the road and the car goes through it, that car flipped, turned in front of me, and in a split second I was T-boning that, that vehicle. Well, there was no way to avoid. There was nothing I could do. I mean, I, I know I reached for the brakes, but at that point the impact was already happening. Okay, and to add a little more context to it, um, there's a, there's a small Lexus running in front of Tim and others on US 75, and it's in about the second or third lane. And that vehicle uh, doesn't exit. It swerves. By all accounts, it swerved from its lane sort of in the middle of, of northbound 75 all the way over to a shoulder, really a swerve. And it gets to the shoulder, and there is an 18-wheeler parked and it's been parked for a while in broad daylight. And the driver of the Lexus obviously sees it and starts to steer back into the roadway, but he does not clear it. And what happens is the the front right of his Lexus hits the back left of the uh, 18-wheelers trailer, causing the Lexus to uh, spin uh, into traffic, and that is when this when this happened. Really strange scenario. Yes, and like I said, I when I saw him veer off to the right, I thought, right, that guy's exiting. Um, but there wasn't a ramp, and there was there was when he when he got, I, and I saw him veer like he's exiting, and then I right before he impacted that the back of the semi. 
he was making an evasive move to his left to try and avoid it, and he could not at that point. Yeah. Now, you know, one of the things that we try to do is, um, you know, sort of appeal to the jury's um, sense of justice. Uh, we try to make them feel like they're protectors of the community. Um, very difficult in this case when it's an elderly gentleman who has his wife with him. They're headed to a family trip with the wife's sister, uh, and his wife loses her life uh, in the collision. She is dead on scene. Um, and that that is very difficult. I don't know. Did you have an appreciation for what difficulties that presented in your case? For the I guess not necessarily for the difficulties. I mean, I, I, I knew that it was a, an aspect of that. Um, but I know from day one, from being transported to the ER, laying there going, um, when the wife walked in, I said, there's, there's a dead person. I had no idea. I remember yeah. seeing the yellow blanket. So I, I knew there was. So was it a difficulty? It was difficult in my mind knowing that it, this accident involves somebody that lost their life. And yeah. that, that was a hard thing to um, deal with at, at times and comprehend. But I also knew it wasn't my fault. So I didn't have that, the um, guilt of that. But yeah. it, it was a lot. And I'm like, well, as you say, in siding with getting people to side with you or think about how they're going to view this. Yeah, they're going to feel sorry for the man that who lost his wife. Yeah. Yeah. That's tough because in these kinds of cases, we're suing for money damages. There's, there's not a criminal aspect to it. And so many members of the jury naturally are going to think, well, my gosh, this, this man who's been, you know, married to his wife for, for years, you know, has suffered enough. Why would we, you know, then punish him with monetary damages? Um, he, he was an elderly gentleman. I, I took his deposition um, and I was hoping that, you know, maybe he had been driven to the deposition, that he was feeble, that he shouldn't have been driving at the time. I mean, guy shows up to his deposition. One, he drove to the place of the deposition. He's a super nice looking man. He wasn't dating anyone else. There wasn't any of that going on. And he looked like he was 68. I mean, <laughs> and he was a UT from engineer for an engineer from UT, as I recall. Um, so you a very likable guy, in other words. Yes. Um, but he could not take responsibility for this crash. Um, he was injured. He was injured in the crash, significantly injured, and didn't just simply did not have a memory of what happened. And I, I remember hearing that when I was laying in the ER that he was in surgery. Um, and I, I know nothing never heard, never seen him, never didn't know any, as I'm, as you're talking about, I'm, I'm getting information about yeah. him and his wife that I had no idea about. Yeah. So, and, and, and that is my philosophy on that with clients is if there's something that the client can control. So if it's the client's behavior, if it's the client's treatment, I'm going to talk to him. But if it's about an issue that our client cannot control. You have no control over it at all. I'm not going to call you and um, keep talking to you about 
situations that you can't control that so happen to be bad for the case. Because I think it's, you know, it just make you depressed. Yes. And you've always got a lot, you know, you already got a lot of that going on, uh, or most people do, in a traumatic brain injury. Um, he, he could not take responsibility. And the, the only thing he could really do is say, one, I don't know why I moved from left to right. Don't even, he had trouble call, even calling a swerve um, and said, I don't know why the front of my vehicle impacted the rear of the 18-wheeler. Um, but I do believe that the 18-wheeler, which we knew this because the officer said so, the 18-wheeler driver did not put um, triangles out as required by law, mind you, it's the middle of the, of a summer day. I mean, it's sunshine outside and there's been thousands of vehicles that have driven by this parked 18 wheeler properly parked on the shoulder. And those little triangles <clears throat> are like 18 inches tall. Yeah. I mean, I don't it, know who sees those on the side of the road. They versus the back end of a large semi. Yeah. It, it, but I can also appreciate why he couldn't, take responsibility. At some point I asked him in the deposition, I said, um, you would agree with me that it is difficult for you having lost what you've lost, which is your wife. It's difficult for you to take responsibility. And he said, it, it, it is. And, and I said, but, um, but you know, the fact is if you swerved left to right behind the 18 wheeler, uh, the 18-wheeler did have its hazard lights on, and it's open and obvious. And if you didn't um, move out of the way, then you would agree that that would be your fault. And he, of course, would say yes. And he said, but I, but I don't believe it happened that way, and I can't take responsibility. He just couldn't do it. And there's a part of that I, I kind of understand coming from somebody who, um, to be harsh with it, killed, just killed his wife. That's right. Um with his actions, it killed his wife. So he does not want to take mm -hmm. complete responsibility for that. I, I understand mm -hmm. there's a there's a part of that. There's there's the denial in your own brain, and you're not going to want to replay that um, the way it um, actually happened for yeah, him. That's right. Um, yeah, tough, really tough, tough situation. Um, the investigating officers thought that he should be charged with manslaughter, um, sent it to a grand jury, and the grand jury no-billed him. And I think they were thinking a lot like the jury was. The so jury Sym would have been. Sympathetic towards <clears throat> him. That's right. Um, yeah, why, he's already been punished enough. Um, I'm curious, why is it that you believe he swerved? I mean, so we'll never know, right? It's just what's your best guess as to why he swerved from the middle of the roadway to the shoulder? I've thought about it a little bit here and there, and it's, did he fall asleep at the wheel? Um, I know he came from um, Houston, Houston area. Close to Houston, north, Close, north of there, the um, Woodlands. The Woodlands, yes, in the Woodlands. Every time Woodlands pops up, I'm like, oh, shit. Um, it brings back memories. Um, so was he driving too long? And he swerved or fell asleep? Did he pick up his phone? Did he have a medical condition? Was he fighting with her? I, I have no idea. Yeah. And, and there's there's no way I would ever know that. And like you said, he doesn't have that much of a recollection because, I mean, he he, yeah. I, as much as I have a TBI, I know he must have one as well. Yeah. 
my feel, and I was, this is what made me worry, worry about the case. I was worried that they would um, allege that he had a medical condition while driving, that it wasn't as a result of negligence that the crash happened, but it was simply an accident that resulted from the, a condition. There was nothing in any records I saw that supported that. The gentleman ultimately did not uh, take that approach. He stuck with, I think, the truth, which is he did not remember. Um, and my question to that would be, how does that affect the case, whether it was a medical or whether it was you know, negligence? That's a great question. And the answer is, in a case like yours, we have to prove negligence and negligence and accident are two different things. Um, negligence essentially just boiled down as you had a duty to act a certain way. Um, you could have acted that certain way. You chose not to act that certain way. And as a result, um, you hurt someone. Um, and the accident is, one of those things that despite your best intentions, um, things happen. And this is one, and you can see how a medical condition could easily fall in that accident area. Uh, we avoided it, but I, you know, of course I spent a lot of nights worrying about it. But again, one of those things I didn't really worry you about by design. Yes. And I, I appreciate not being worried with <laughs> all of that because you worried, you worried me with enough other stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, that, that, that I needed to know or needed to be a part of. Um, All right. So we talked about earlier that this was the, the TBI was drove the value of this case. But what's interesting is, and one of the things that we had to overcome, very difficult, is you didn't complain of TBI symptoms uh, to the EMS, the first responders, or uh, in the emergency room. Instead, you complained of your left ankle, your chest, and your left wrist uh, and then in the to EMS and then the ER, those same things plus uh, the left side of your back. Um, and so through EMS and ER, no complaints about head at all. Now, five days after the crash, you see Dr. Simmons, your primary care physician, and there, yeah, you're still talking about your foot and your ankle. Um in your chest being a little uh, tender, but now we've got, and I'm going to quote, give you a quote, very foggy and severe headaches have gotten worse, irritable, sleeping a lot, hard time focusing. Um, in my, my, this happens so often. Um, and the insurance companies make this argument every time, because we see it a lot where in the ER, with the EMS, there's no brain injury complaints. It's more orthopedic. As time goes on, the head injury, you start to see more and more information about that. And the insurance companies want to argue that, that that means that there wasn't a brain injury, that the client or the patient is or the claimant is simply making it up. So did you make up this brain injury? No. Yeah. And, and the process with all of that is, from what I've learned unfortunately, is that swelling in your brain starts. You don't notice that right away. There are so many things that I noticed from day five to day 15 to day 60 to 90 of how things have changed with me. 
Um, the e ER aspect is their main goal is to make sure you're not going to die right then on their table. Um, they don't, I didn't feel like I got much out of them. They don't do much for you. Mm -hmm. Those things weren't affecting me at that point. I was more concerned with the immediate pain that I had and those were stronger pains. So you don't focus on the other, the brain injury aspect. And those things develop as your brain swells after the impact. And it, if you hit your arm with a hammer, it's going to hurt. You're not going to start to bruise and see black and blue for three or four days. It's the same with the brain from what I've understood. So that stuff didn't really start to develop. So till a few days down the road to really, I well, I noticed it. And then even after the fact, I'm going through physical therapy because of my back's messed up and every, my body aches. I didn't start doing some other therapy on my brain until eight months later to where that really started going, wait, there's something wrong here. There's other issues. It takes a while to do inventory and figure out that something's not right. Sure, you were feeling headaches um, as the days went on, but, you know, headaches can be as a result of a neck injury all day long. We all know that. And that is true because everything runs from, from everything runs down through your spine. That's everything. Right. So you, those headaches come on from other other areas of your body and just transfers up to your head. So um, all that being said, with all those little things that are that are there that you don't know even exists. I mean, where I think I I can still function as a person. I had this big accident. Um, it took me a while to realize how big the accident was. Yeah. And as I explained to other people, when I say I was in an accident, well, was it serious? And it, for the longest time, I would not go into details with it. I'm like, yeah, I T-boned somebody on the freeway doing about 65 miles an hour, um, give or take. And, <clears throat> and then I realized if I said to somebody there was a fatality in the accident, they'd go, oh, and their their whole perspective of the accident changed. Changes, yeah. So, just different how as I as I grew to realize different things about me, the incident, and and where I was. It's been a journey I wish I was never on. Sure, and we talk about those delayed symptoms being pretty normal for what's classified as a mild traumatic brain injury. And we also talk about the initial imaging in these types of cases over 95% of the time, if you have a mild traumatic brain injury, you, you may have a CT scan, you may have a brain MRI, you may have an EEG of your brain. And over 95% of the time, all three of those are going to come out uh, normal. They're not going to find anything abnormal, which was the case with you, all normal uh, with those initial uh, imaging um, but does that mean you don't have a brain injury? I would say no. Um, and, and I, that's information that I don't recall ever knowing or hearing. If I did, I forgot about it already, but, um, I know I've done multiple scans and multiple tests in my head and, um, and for me to try and realize what they even, when they would, mm. they would give me the results and show me things and, um, the Sarah scan was the one that that stood out because I I was more familiar with a Sarah scan um, based on other people I'd been around that with a, a organization that was helping um, veterans 
that had TBIs. Yeah, and the, the the what you're talking about there is after that initial imaging that said everything was normal and perfect, um, we got you some advanced imaging. We got you a SPECT scan, and we got you a diffusion tensor imaging uh, scan of your brain. And both of those showed that there were, in fact, abnormalities. Yes. And I, I guess in, in looking at that, it's like an X-ray versus an M MRI. X-ray shows a little bit. MRI gets deeper. Uh -huh. So the different tests that we did it and scans on my brain, they went from the X-ray aspect of it to getting <clears throat> deep involved into my my brain and enter, enter things and seeing the really what's going on. Um, so one of the other things we had, had a real challenge with in your case was you saw a neurologist on your own before you came to see me. And that neurologist said, I think you may have had a lacunar stroke uh, at some point in the past. Um, and I want you to have this some sort of scan. I think it was an MRA to, to figure out for sure. We get an expert on the, we had a lot of experts on your case, um, but we had a particular expert that is really an expert on the brain. And that expert concluded that he agreed he thought you had had a lacunar stroke at some point in your history, um, but went on to distinguish your injuries from this crash. Did you know that you may have had a lacunar stroke in the past? One, I don't even know what lunar stroke is, but so no, I can't answer. I no, okay. I I do not have any recollection of having any other health issues like that. And um, one of the things that he opined is that you could have had that lacunar stroke and never, uh, never known you had it. Okay. So um, and that was an interesting thing that we had to overcome. Again, one of those things that um, I didn't spend a lot of time with you on because I knew I'd have to do it for trial, but not for your, we did a little bit on your deposition. You may not remember, but, um, we knew how to, you were prepared for it. And, and that way. going back to the beginning of that, of, you know, when I was involved in this, I'm like, all right, I don't know what I'm doing. I, I didn't seek counsel right away. I didn't seek counsel until, didn't find a look for you until I got this hospital bill that was astronomical. And I, I was already starting to this point where I was just trailing off the deep end. And I saw this, I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing with this. What's going on? What's happening? I was so overwhelmed. I'm like, so I, yes, going to see uh, a doctor trying, and I would kept starting to see doctors that I, that I'd seen before. You, you mentioned my ankle. That was a big thing for me since I just, gone through a, um, I had it broken a long time ago in 2001, had it fused in 2016 and spent non-weight bearing a lot of time doing rehab on that. That was a, that I, I put so much effort into my ankle and, and trying to be able to walk again off my ankle without pain. That was my main concern. When I left the ER, I remember I mentioned my ankle to him. I don't remember them doing much to my ankle. When mm -hmm. I stood up and I could not stand on it, I kind of lost it with them. I kind of screamed at him, yelled at him, and said, you didn't, and it was swollen. I'm like, you didn't do a thing for my ankle. And I was pissed because I'd put so much 
of my life has been involved in my ankle. So I, I focus on those doctors that I'd seen before with that. But going to see, until I got in with you, seeing um, doctors that knew what they were looking for, what to expect, not to just guess at, at stuff. And in over five years, did you get a good idea? Did you get at least a pretty good idea of all the dirty tricks that the insurance company lawyers tried to employ to uh, shirk responsibility and deny you a full recovery? I did. I did. And that's that's one of those aspects that, that gives people the um, negative connotation of lawyers, um, where they try and twist and turn and take everything of you know, the video surveillance I had of me dragging an empty trash can up the driveway of me walking my dog and saying, look, he's normal. I go out and do those things. And I come in and I sit on the couch and I might have to take a nap for an hour so I can just recover and feel better about myself. So that one picture, that one moment in time is screwed up to where that can make or break who I am or what's going on in my life. It, it doesn't, little thing, if you don't have, you have no idea what goes behind, goes on behind closed doors with your neighbors. People didn't see that part of it. People didn't see the suffering that I had, the pain that I had, the misery. Um, there is a lot of that going on. Um, and that's the part that just, it sucked as a, as a trying to live life. That was, um, it was horrible. What type of appreciation did you develop for victims like yourself needing um, a law firm to help them? I guess what I've learned from all this is, um, that, I mean, there's many things I've, I've learned from this. Of, of, and I even went into it like I'm not um, a suing type of person. I don't need, I don't think I need this. And I think even at the bear, you can, you explain something to me about that, but I'm like, this is so much more in depth and involved than I even imagined. Um, so as a person that's going through this, all I can say is you can't handle this on your own. You can't, you can't operate on yourself. You can't do different things. Seek out somebody that can help you, um, facilitate everything. Somebody. So you, somebody. Jason, Jason, anybody. What? That's, say anybody that's not. <laughs> somebody, yes. As in Burr's Law <laughs> that I highly recommend that has been there um, um, and had my back. I mean, as I say, a, a love-hate relationship. Um, it has been. I've hated this process. Love the effort you put into it. I've hated you at times. Yep. Um, there were things that you were doing, like you did a, did a radio show for MMA and you do, um, oh, you know, one one time, I think you had told a doctor of some type that, you know, that your lawyer was telling you it was not a great idea to do this radio show. And you were pissed at me. You were really mad. But um, I just knew what a problem that could be. And, um, you know, we would have to... Have a little dust up every now and then, but it was yes, cool. we, yes, and we did. We had a few dust ups, <laughs> <laughs> um, but 
I was looking at it. We we had different perspectives. Well, for you're, sure. You're, you're you're looking at it as okay, case and best perspective for me at this point in my life. I'm like, <clears throat> I am messed up. I don't know where I'm going. I need something to grasp a hold of. I need something to be happy about. I need something to be proud about. So I was doing things that shouldn't be doing as far as um, being visible and, and saying that because, um, like you said, everything would be turned against me. Um, oh, and, even and, when and 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 mm-hmm. using snippets and clips and not the whole prospect of of everything mm-hmm. that I was doing. That um, oh, they try to make a big deal about you going back and going to title boxing, and I'll never forget Malcolm, our opposing counsel, going on and on and on about you know he's claiming to have a brain injury from this accident, Jason, but the fact is he's going out and boxing and taking these shots to the head, and I'm like, Malcolm. Since when do punching bags punch back? <laughs> and, 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 and to go to back up with even that, after I had my ankle fusion, before I got uh, permission from my doctor to be there, I was taking a knee scooter to that gym. It was that was my lifestyle to go and, and sit and work out and and work hard and punch that bag. I would sit on my knee scooter and punch that bag. They had pictures of me sitting there. I would do what I could to a limited ability, but he had no idea what what title boxing was. He kept thinking I was doing this. So he, and there was, there was obviously somewhere where I had an issue with doing uh, mountain climbers, which is a type of exercise where you go from standing to on the ground and kind of running in place. That messed me up. I'd get back up and I'd be dizzy as can be and want to fall over and, and the bag swaying. And I'm, I'm never made it through a full class for a long time when I was trying to go back. But he's like, well, do you do those mountain climbing walls at, when you work out? And I'm like, I knew where he was going with it. And I turned into being a little bit of an ass towards him, um, even though I was told not to be. You don't um, say. <laughs> <laughs> um, but he's like, he goes, those mountain climbers. So I just kept kind of playing him along with that, going, what, I don't know what you're talking about. What do you mean a mountain climbing wall? I'm like, I knew what he was referring to of what I, I struggled with because I remember saying yeah. that to different different people. And that was part of my balance, vertigo, different issues of going from high to low, um, which are still issues that I have to this day of balance and, and trying to walk and, and be not – look like I'm staggering. Yeah. Um, all right. You're free as a bird. Case is over. We've won the case convincingly. How do you feel about not being in litigation anymore? Are you relieved? Are you, I mean, we, we won every hearing we had, we went 14 and zero. there was a lot of strategizing and some of it was kind of fun from the standpoint of we were, we were for me, fun for you. Okay. <laughs> but there's, you know, there's this strategy there, there, you kind of develop this bond. How do you feel about it being over? I am extremely ecstatic that it's over. Um, to have this that's gone on for, and I say five years, almost five years. And that's from the date of the, <laughs> the accident to finally being having this behind me and being able to move forward and create a new life. Um, my life has been on hold in, in my view, um, from 
I'm going to say restrictions, restrictions you wanted on me of, you know, like we said, we talked about of not doing the radio show, not, not walking my dog in certain places, not wearing certain shirts, not doing this, not doing that. Mm-hmm. I lived a paranoid life of people would come up and talk to me. I'm like, I don't know who the hell they are. I don't trust them. Didn't trust anyone for a long time. So now I can finally, with this behind me, I am, I am so much more relaxed able to enjoy life, to move forward and say, I can talk to anybody I want. I can do what I want. I don't have to look over my shoulder to see who's, who's watching me, who might be recording me. Um, there's aspects of that, that, that are really, I don't, I don't think I've been completely experienced all those yet. It's been such a short time for me to sit back and, and each day is different for me of so much more relief than I feel. Um, I feel there's times like I've been, I've been let out of prison. Now, what do I do? Where do I go? The world has changed. Um, trying to catch up on things and people. And I'm like, um, I, I'm just, I'm starting over and it's exciting to start over and have a clean slate. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yes. And I, I thank you for all that, um, that you've given me a opportunity to do that and, and to be a little more secure with as as I move forward with that. This is this was a check that I personally went to pick up because um, I, I really had it for that opposing lawyer and especially their crappy off all those crappy offers and crappy letters that went back and forth. I just I mean we 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 really put in a lot of work and and that one I wanted him to hand it over and he did. Um, and that made, that made me, that made me feel better because it, there's a lot of stress in this type of case where it just, it takes hundreds of hours and you have all those contentious hearings. And, um, I just get so worried that one of these cases are not going to work out and you, know, you just want it to work out for your client. And you'd said that from the beginning, um, you know, I want to do what I, as Jason Bruce, I want to do what I can for you. I, I, feel you. I understand you. Um, I want to make sure that I can do the best for you to help, help you in your future. Um, I think even when you said that early on, I don't think it resonated really what that meant to me of where I was in my head and my space and everything going on. But as we move forward, seeing how the passion you had for this to make sure, and you said the connection that we have, um, has been very different. And, and I'm like, okay, this is good. Even though, um, the love hate aspect, um, he'd said, Jason had said something to me and I, I kind of lost it. Um, sent an email and, and called Jason a condescending in an email and went on and on <laughs> with all these different things. And then he called me right away and said, really, you think I'm, I thought we had a good relationship. And I said, we do. We do. And I appreciate a relationship. I feel strong enough in our relationship that I can say that to you. And and I'm not going to hold it against you. And you're not going to hold it against me. We're just going to be able to move forward with it and say, we're good. We're good. We just need to talk this stuff out. Mm -hmm. So it's, I'm, I'm, like you said, I am so blessed thankful for what you've done and I can move forward. Um, 
yeah, ups and downs, love and hate, but it's been great. And speaking of love and hate, this whole MMA thing, which I was, you know, incredibly worried about. Let's let's finish here. Quick hits, MMA. You've got this radio show. You've been in it for a while. UFC fighter that you've done this uh, this radio show with, St- Stephen Peterson. Yep, Stephen Ocho Peterson. Yep. Got me, um, been an MMA fan. He got me involved kind of in, more in the backside of the MMA and um we, yes, we did a we did a radio show where we brought in different fighters. We got to know fighters, and our and our big thing is, and I think kind of what you're doing here with me is getting to know you're getting to know your client more and letting your client express. We got to know fighters. Going, these are not just animals being locked in a cage. They're not crazy people. They have lives. They have families. They have stories. Um, so sitting down and doing doing his show with him has been been great, and being able to be a a part of the MMA world. And you know, I'm a huge MMA fan. Yes. I am available. I am available for expert commentary should you need me. <laughs> I don't think they've ever given me the mic to commentate fights, oh, well, but I've, 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 been, I've been blessed where I can sit cage side and, and watch different fighters that have um, come up from the smaller ranks to see them in the UFC. Looks like this is headed to where I've got to do a sponsorship to have the ability to be on air. That's what it looks like. (laughs) (laughs) All right, two things. Conor McGregor, um, will he win a third world championship? We're not counting that interim thing. Will he win a third world championship, yes or no? No. I don't believe he will. I mean, Uh, I think Conor's done. Okay, so my next question was, are Connor's best days behind him? I think you answered that one. Yes, they, they are. I mean, Connor has so much money right now. Connor is his own worst enemy. You're managing Connor McGregor right now. The next opponent for Connor is who? I think Dustin wouldn't be a bad opponent for him. I think Dustin's a bad opponent because I don't think he beats Dustin. Well, I, I didn't. Okay, as a, man- manager. as a manager, I need somebody who's going to win. So, but you need to pick somebody that's going to be in that that top five because that's he's only going to want somebody in that top five. I've got somebody in mind. I want to hear who you who you've got. We're not going to put him against Cowboy Cerrone again because he dominated that. So right. he he needs a challenge, um, something that the fans would want. Um, I don't have one that I could pick out right away that say he's going to be able to beat. I've got a great one. I'm going to run this by you. Okay. The double champ versus the double champ and Olympic gold medal medalist, Conor McGregor versus Henry Cejudo. They have a little heat. Conor's going to have the size advantage, wrestling disadvantage. I think he can win that fight. That would be a very entertaining, interesting fight, and and you know I I have to root for Henry because I he's he's a man that I've you've met him I've met him I hung out with him I gotta take pictures with him hold his belt after he won his belt have him like, fight at one fifty five and I think Connor's got a pretty good shot I think he he would because Connor Connor is very I mean I I despise Connor I, I mean he's done great. Um, for promoting the sport. He's done great the way he trash talks and goes out and then backs it up. But I am not a fan of who he is. Um, he's very good on his feet. So Hudo's gonna be, I mean, he's got that wrestling background with being in the Olympics and and, and wrestling. Um, 
But so, a ten inch reach at disadvantage. And and Henry is. I've never stood next to Connor. Henry is a little man. He is short. Um, uh, Who wins that fight? Connor has a very good chance of winning that. Um, I would say Connor's got a. At, I'd go 60 40 on Connor with that. And name me a bigger fight that Connor could have, a bigger fight that he could have that he could also win. I mean, he he has Diaz's number. I mean, they've go, both gone back and forth. That's true. That's but, a good one. But I, I I don't see that as. He could lose that fight badly, too. He could. He could. Um, but he, he kind of has his number after they've had a number of, of yep. bouts together. They they kind of know each other. But I yep. think Connor probably learned a little bit more than, than Diaz did. In it. Yeah, one of those two. All yeah. right, last one. Kamzat Shemaev, if I've pronounced it correctly. Big fight this weekend. He's taking on Burns. So Kamzat has a lot of the moxie that Connor has. He's got the wrestling and perhaps submission defense that Connor doesn't have. He is an absolute beast. He fights at welterweight and he's fought at uh, middleweight. Who wins that fight between Kamzat and Gilbert Burns? Kamzat will win that fight. He's going to. I mean, even though, like you said, he's he's good on the ground. He came from that that that. Uh, kind of Russian background of the wrestling and wrestling with bears. Um, he has good wrestling, but he's very good on a stand-up as well. And and as when he came into the UFC, he has just been dominant with his fights, and they've been putting in fights from back to back for him. And and they're doing the UFC is doing a good job of building him up um, and making him their next. Um, foreign star, so to speak. All right. Kamzat beats Burns, and then he fights Usman. Last question, who wins that fight? I'm an, I'm an Usman fan. I'm going to go with Usman. All right. I'm going to go with Kamzat. Kamzat will finish him, too, by the way. Not not a decision uh, okay. he will finish. I can't wait for that fight. <laughs> We're going to have to watch that one together. Hey, um, this has been fun. Yes, it has been. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Appreciate See you down it. the line. All right. Thank you all. Hope you've enjoyed it very much. See you next time.